What's going on, guys? It's Dan. Uh, we took a little bit of break after that Blitz week we had where we dropped like five episodes, four episodes in a row. So we had a really exciting, really busy week of a lot of podcast episodes. This one was recorded a few days back. It's a longer podcast, and we're just going to play the entire thing for you. But this is a conversation with a guy named Adam Huber and myself. This is actually um, audio that I edited for, uh, that includes his podcast audio as well. Uh, so enjoy that. If you are in a service-based business or you enjoy talking about cars, car products, things like that, go check out his podcast, the Optimum Synergy Podcast. Um, I'm going to let this drop. This is a longer episode. I will see you guys at the end of it. Welcome back to the Optimum Synergy Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Huber. Today, sitting with a gentleman that I've um, been really looking forward to talking with for a little while now. The gentleman's name is Ian Card of Think 3D Solutions, correct? Yes, sir. So, Ian, uh, you actually have just started with the company here a little while ago. It's only been a couple of months, is that right? Yeah, so I started full-time in, well, end of April, so essentially May. Okay. Um, been involved in the sense that I've known these guys for a while. I've uh, hung out with them, been more of a tag along than anything really. Uh, and it was time to take the leap. I couldn't really manage both with my full-time job that I was doing at the time. And so um, in order to get the things we wanted to get done, done, I, I just took the took the jump. So here we are. So, and you're, these guys that you're referring to is, um, I don't know Tamian's last name, but Tamian, what's Tamian Dysart. Van Dysart? Dysart. Dysart. Yep. And, and Vani Harari. Correct. Um, now, I don't know Tamian super, super well, yeah. um, but every time I've ever talked to him, it's been a great conversation, mm-hmm. but I've had the pleasure of talking to Vani quite a few times, mm-hmm. and um, I'm hoping at some point we can actually have him on the podcast as well, um, oh, just absolutely. to kind of dive into Vani's life, just because he's got a pretty interesting story. But what tell us a little bit about you, like what's gotten you up to this point? What were you doing before Think 3D? Yeah. And then we'll dive into like what think 3d is. Yeah, man. Um, so I've done quite a bit. I'm not a native of South Dakota or Sioux Falls, but it's home now. Uh, immediately before this, I was in franchise business development. So I was with a healthcare organization that uh, had a franchise concept. And when I joined the team, uh, two and a half or so years ago, we had 27 stores. Um, Initially, I was with their virtual virtual sales team uh, doing some coaching over the phone. This is all nutrition coaching, and uh, my job was to help generate more members for that particular team. Uh, we decided that we were going to go the franchise direction, and it became my job to help with business development for the franchise, franchise side. So when a person bought a franchise, um, it was my job to take them and their salespeople through business development training. Okay. So we opened about 92 stores in the better part of 12 months and um, just rode a rocket ship for two years there as we continued to grow, um, which was an unbelievable learning experience. I think you cram that much growth into that amount of time. You also cram that much education yeah. into that amount of time. So I learned a lot about people and teams, and I was able to contextualize a lot of the things I learned before that in like the previous six years of working is things you pick up along the way, but you don't ever really utilize, you don't ever really sometimes put it together, and it takes doing something kind of incredible um, or doing something pretty intense to be able to see like, oh, there's all these things I've collected. There's all these things I've picked up that's and put it together. Um, and s- throughout that journey and even previously, um, in Sioux Falls particularly, I've been in and out of hospitality, um, worked with many bars and restaurants in the area. So we've done, I've done bar opens, restaurant opens, um, worked at the new facility for one of the country clubs in town when I first moved here. 
prior to that, I managed four sites for a nonprofit uh, for um, children's homes. And then prior to that, I was in uh, scheduling and sales for an engineering company. So I've done a lot of different things. Yeah. Um, all very fun. All very much things that I was passionate about and curious about, but uh, learned a lot throughout it. One of the trends that I always learned was that I felt like something was missing in a lot of these places. And when I met Vani and Tamian for the first time about four years ago, probably five now, um, it was immediate, made immediately aware to me that it was culture. Yeah. And I just didn't know how to articulate it at that time. But I had studied um, sociology and psychology in college. And I was really passionate about those things, communicating with people, helping people communicate better. And I decided like culture was something I was really passionate about. And like that became the mission is to helping people work better, <clears throat> helping people work healthier, helping people have a better time at work, um, be more productive and engage more effectively. And if I, if the cool thing about what I do now, the cool thing about what I love at Think 3D is that it's given me the tools to go back and talk to 22 year old me at the job where getting burned out. How old are you now? 28. 28. So six years ago, I can go back and say, and I feel very confident about being able to go back and give somebody who is in that position, a young professional just starting out, like, hey, here's the tools to, to figure out how you can be more effective here. And then on the other side of that, actually going into organizations and delivering them things and tools and services they can use to make their culture sustainable, to make their leadership development program sustainable. So good segue into what Think3D does. Yeah, no, that is a, that is a good segue. Um, can, we, can we just touch on really briefly, like uh, Tamian's and Vani's history? Because from what I remember correctly, they were working at Wells Fargo and went through the ranks pretty quickly at Wells Fargo. Yep. And the reason that they did that was because it was through leadership and culture development inside their teams, not necessarily as a, as a company as, of a, as a whole, mm-hmm. but um, they would put, I think now they have a, Wells Fargo has a leadership program that was basically developed by them internally. Is that correct? It's close. Okay. That's close. Uh, and you, you're, you're pretty spot on with the, the assessment there. So, Collectively, Vani and Tamian, um, and they've got 30 years of leading people in teams. I've got between two and four of like actually having teams underneath me. So while I don't have the lion's share by any means, they've got a ton of years of experience leading people in teams. So they both were in finance, uh, Capital One, um, HC, HCSB. I'm going to butcher that name. I, don't, I can never get the acronym right. But um, previously, before it was Capital One, and then eventually both at Wells Fargo. And so they led one, uh, Tamian led call centers, which if anyone knows anything or knows anybody about working in a call center, specifically at banks, it's a war zone. It's a war zone. Vani led customer service and processing. So more of like the sales side of products, things like that. Um, but they both led upwards at times of teams of 200 plus people. And they, they realized together and and cause they've been friends for a long time. They were taking home more than a paycheck. At the end of the day, if you come to work and you're exhausted and you aren't being fed and you're just not happy in the sense that like you don't feel good, you're taking that back to your family. You're taking that back to your friends. You're taking that back to your kids. Your job isn't going to one day ask of you only 70%. So why would it be okay for you to give 70% to your family? Why would it be okay for you to give 70% to your Yeah, I love that analogy. And right, like your boss doesn't come in and be like, hey, you know what, Adam, we only need 70% today. And so they focused on retention and engagement and giving people a track to become leaders internally. 
and Tamian took his uh, his team, his call center team, uh, from a 33% plus retention rate, which isn't terrible in that. Like, it's maybe industry standard at that time. I don't know the details. It's awful. But down to 6% and sustained that. And so the metrics were there. And there's ways that they developed and, like, we've kind of honed here in the last few months of calculating what it costs businesses. Like, businesses are spending a ton of money on attrition. And so um, if we can figure because, out... Because of um, lost efficiency, because you have to train these new people up and then, you know, you have someone who, let's just say anyone who's less than a year into a specific role or uh, inside of a company, they just you just naturally do not understand what the ins and outs of that company is until, let's just say, after six months. Mm-hmm. But that whole six months, mm-hmm. you are operating at a 60, 70% in a, um, efficiency because... You just don't understand all the processes, procedures, and the ins and outs. Oh, you will. There's this kind of process, and we kind of frame it in the time set, the time frame of door to floor, meaning like so in finance specifically. Like given Vani and Tamia's Tamia's experience, there was probably twelve to eighteen weeks, maybe more. I'm not again. That number is not gospel, but it is a significant amount of time from what they call like somebody who's a new hire to now being able to be on the phone, be in the systems, and no longer be a compliance risk. And if you have 100 people that you're hiring and 33 or 40 or even 50 of them are staying every year, you're wasting a lot of time and resources. And the more technical the job, the more skilled the job, the longer it's going to take to replace and get somebody you know, trained up who isn't coming in or you get somebody who does have the talent, have the skill, and you have to pay a premium for that person. And so businesses are spending a lot of money it's not an expense right now, but it is a cost, right? Like they are, they're not budgeting for it, but they're spending the money on it, whether that's through hiring, posting jobs, the amount of time they spend training. I, you brought up lost productivity, which is massive. Yeah. And, and the only reason why I bring up lost productivity is because, um, and I could be wrong on this and feel free to correct me on it, but, you know, my experience and um, everyone that's listening to this podcast is in a service-based business. Well, lost lost productivity is something that's actually pretty easy to measure because um, if it takes a new hire twice as long to detail a car than um, a veteran or someone who's been in the in that shop for a while, well, then that's a super easy thing to measure, right? Yeah. So you you can easily look at that. But now when you're talking about a call center, like it's really difficult to look at that lost lost productivity. A, a secretary, like how do you measure lost efi- um, efficiency and productivity in that? It's kind of hard to do. Um, so, like a good example would be a good example would be like let's take a business that um, hosts events. Let's say it's a facility, and fifty four percent of their people are engaged based on surveys, and they've got a churn rate and not retention. So this would be attrition. So the people leaving twenty twenty to eight percent. And these are just arbitrary numbers. It's hard for them to calculate because for them, lost efficiency just means set up time, tear down time, people not getting as much done. And it's hard because that's a number that you can calculate it. It's just not as easy as saying, okay, I had 33 jobs booked last week. My best guy left. Now I can only book 15 because my new guy doesn't know how to do this as quickly or he's not as comfortable doing this process. And like that's extremely measurable. It's also something you can fix. Yep. And so, Tamian, Vani, uh, 
they leave Wells Fargo, mm-hmm. and then do they jump right into Think 3D? They they started this, and so they wrote a book. It's sitting right behind me, uh, Think 3D. Um, more of those to come, I think, down the pipeline. But uh, they wrote a book. Buy it on Amazon. <laughs> you can. Link in the description below. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know where I can find the link anymore. Um, they they wrote the book, and it was pretty much an idea and a collection of like what this is all about. What's the philosophy of Think 3D? And then they started at the Zeal Center, and I met. That's where I met them. Is when they were just just transitioning because Vani left before Tamian did, mm-hmm. and so they were just getting ready to transition, officing out of a coat closet. And you think the three of us look cramped over there right now? It was bad. It was real bad. Um, fun though. Mm-hmm. And so they started that, and it it's gotten to a point where now, at least within the South Dakota area, we're doing more work in Minneapolis. We've been out to a couple states outside of just this kind of immediate footprint we have. Um, and it's growing. It's growing really well. So now with the expansion into the new space, the addition of me, the next step is we're going to bring on more and more people to provide support and do actually train people up to do what they do. Mm. Um, I'm to the point where I'm, I'm passionate enough talking about it, but I've never seen two people in a room speaking to a group that are as good at what they do. And to be able to get them out and do that more and more often would be the entire goal mm-hmm. of the team. And so we've got a lot of things we're working on, a lot of things that will be announced this year. We have our culture con event coming up in October. I'll probably do a shameless plug for that later. Nope. But uh, please do. Um, it's a great event. It's uh, we got, I want to say, 15 tables available, and people can also buy individual seats. Um, it'll be on our Facebook page. It'll be on our website. But it's a basically a good spot for teams and individuals to come together. And we're going to have three speakers, just like we did last year. And we're going to talk all about culture. Where is the state of culture in the workplace today? Where is the state of culture within personally today? And then what are some tactical things people can take away to actually do something at work, at home, in their personal life? Okay, real quick, just because I think some people that are listening to this, because culture gets thrown around a lot, right? It's kind of a hot word, just like entrepreneur is. Oh, it's a buzzword. So can you explain to me what what culture is that, that Think 3D defines it as? Yeah, a culture is, and there's a lot of different definitions. And so I don't know if we have a definition uh, that's just one because there's many different things. So a culture can be defined as maybe what you tolerate. A culture maybe can be defined as the collection of the beliefs, values, and actions of people within a certain space. It, any sense of how you really define a culture, you can feel it and you can see it. So that's the important thing is because people know it when they see it, but we like to get and extract out what it is and what it isn't. So culture isn't just flexible working hours. Culture isn't just good fringe benefits. Culture isn't just a good 401k plan. Or people always use this stereotype because of the whole millennial conversation, but it's not just beer in the fridge and a ping pong table and, and beanbag chairs, right? Culture is an intentionally constructed thing where everyone's rowing in the same direction. And it's a set of expectations and values that you know when you walk in the door as either a customer or an employee that you're operating under. At least that's how I would personally define it, knowing that I, knowing what I know about our philosophies. But we have a we have a saying, and what we like it's one of our core um, one of our core concepts. But the fact is that a culture will emerge, whether intended or not. Yep. But if it's not one that you invest in, it will be one that you pay for, in the sense that you have to build it, and that's what we want businesses to help do. And it's not just about fun. It's about setting expectations. It's about communicating clearly. It's about creating a culture of belief and values. And I want to dive more into that later and we talk a little bit more details. But yeah. that's 
I know that's not a really clean answer. I know that's not one that's easy to put into a, no, a clip, um, but that's the best one I can give. And and there's going to be some people that are listening to this that are confused or don't understand what we're talking about. And I think there's just some people that uh, people there's just some people that lack um, empathy. Like they they lack that emotional meter to understand. Like they can't just walk into a room and like kind of like feel the energy in there. And I'm not trying to get hippy dippy or anything like that, but no, it's real. Um, uh, I've talked about it a couple of times on here before. There's a place that that used to be in Sioux Falls called the Bakery, which was an entre- entrepreneurial space, um, a co kind of like a co working space, whatever. And I remember very distinctly, like when I walked in there, I was like, "Okay, this is this is home. Like this is this is where I need to be for this particular point in time." Yeah, and. There's just, you can walk into a space and if people are not excited to be there, uh, you're, you're going to pick up on that either, uh, cautiously or unconsciously, you're going to know if people are actually excited to be where they're at. And the, I think the, the culture thing, the reason why we're talking about it is because in a service-based industry, so my personal belief and I have nothing to base this off of or anything like that. This is just feelings that I get from out there. But I used to be a diesel mechanic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've just kind of always been in a service-based environment. I truly believe that service-based industries are going to be in a world of hurt in five to ten years. I don't think it's going to take much time at all. People can make the excuse of, well, it's because millennials are soft or Gen Z is soft or anything like that. Actually, from my experience, it's mostly because, ter- first of all, terrible management is number one. And number two, you have you have most of these industries were cutthroat back 20, 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. When, if you were a mechanic 20, 30 years ago, yeah. it was literally like kill or be killed. Mm-hmm. You, you, you didn't tell anyone your secrets. Like if you knew a specific way how to do something, you would sooner chop someone's foot off than to tell them how to do a job faster. Now it's not that way anymore in the mechanic world, but the problem is, is that you have people who are 40, 50, 60 years old that are still mechanics and they still have that mentality. And then if you come across that rare person that has all this knowledge and is willing to share it, he doesn't know how to actually teach it or worse, doesn't get the time to teach it because he's the most efficient person in the shop and we can't lose out on that kind of efficiency. And so, and then you add into the fact that because we have a prevalence going towards teaching people about coding and computer work and office work and stuff like that, you have less and less people wanting to go into a service-based business in the first place because it's hard work. Like Mm -hmm. you're working your body every single day and so construction companies, house builders, roofers, cement people, detailers, mechanics, they're already feeling the effects of this. It's just it hasn't hit critical mass yet. Oh, well. And in 10 years, I, I have a feeling that service-based industries will actually be paying just as much as doctors because the supply and demand will be there. A mechanic... You guys just wait. Like in ten years, a mechanic is going to make just as much as a doctor because the supply and demand will be there. Because nobody wants to go in to be a mechanic, and cars are always going to break down. When's the last time you saw like truly a new business open up that was a mechanic shop? 
Oh man. In Sioux Falls. Think that's a it. that's a great question. Like when did somebody open a new I didn't like, And I it lasted longer than five years. Yeah, and I don't mean like auto body, like custom work. I mean just like good we do transmissions, we do this. That wasn't a Valvoline. That wasn't a It's not a franchise. Yes. <sighs> There's been a lot of them closed. Yeah, but there. Yeah, well, that's a great question. I haven't even thought about that. And it's just interesting because there's you brought up an interesting point. I think, um, and I think of things when I think of service-based businesses. I think of knowledge decay. Yeah. Right. And it's that thing of people take their secrets to their grave, and I don't mean literal grave, like their proverbial career grave. They'll retire. Yep. And they'll never have had the opportunity to pass something on, especially people that do something intricate. So, like when I was thinking about this conversation, I was thinking about detailing. Mm-hmm. Detailing a car is less of a science, more of an art. Yes. Very much so. And, you know, cars, in the sense of being a mechanic, is very scientific and, and, and calculated. Yep. You can read that in a procedural thing. Yep. You can pick up nuances from somebody who's done it for years and years and years and said, you know what, actually, this works a little bit better. But detailing, for instance, I think of landscaping. I think of people that are in painting, whether it's commercial or residential. Those are things that the knowledge decay over time is going to hurt them if they don't get that out and distribute that knowledge and get people in younger and get them trained internally mm-hmm. because we are seeing that everyone's been told you got to go to school you got to code <laughs> which is awesome and like we do have a shortage of coders like i'm not you know i'm not trying to say yeah, there's not there, a, there not is that thing. need there but um there's only so many businesses that can that can run doing that mm-hmm. um and so i think it's just an interesting conversation to say like where's that balance going yeah. and how do how do i as a service-based employer how do i how do i pick that up how do i recruit Yep. Right. How do I do some of these things? Because it's you got to find the people and you got to hang on to them. Yep. And you know, uh, I was talking to—I don't know if he's actually listening—but I was talking to a detailer in Washington, and he was telling me like just the specific demographic of people that are living there—the kids that are living there—have been pampered their their whole life, and they'll show up for one or two days of work and then just leave because it's hard. And they're used to like just doing something that's not as hard. Well, you can you can sit there and complain about your situation, and you can com- and and he I I think and we walked through a bunch of different things. Like uh, you know I I talked to him about all the things that I could think of off the top of my head. But at the end of the day, you have a problem that you either need to fix or you're just going to end up being stagnant in the same spot. And so that's the reason why this conversation. I think it was an interesting one to bring up because you, if you own any sort of business, this is something that you have to intentionally think about because it, it's going to affect you. And you have to stop complaining about the kids. Yeah. Like, <laughs> they have to stop complaining about the kids and figure out how to get around it. Yeah. Because guess what? You raised the kids. Yep. Like, that's... I just was watching a video. I was just watching a video of somebody talking about... Um, and it's like 40, 50, there's people that are 40, 50 years old talking about like the, the millennials. Um, Which is a great topic to bring up all the time. Like I, I've done literally, so I've gotten like five episodes into my own podcast and uh, two of them are solely focused on millennials mm-hmm. and like breaking down the monolith that people think millennials are. Yep. Uh, somebody raised them. They're not from planet X. I was, I was at a conference a couple months ago. We did a training in Minneapolis. And we all, so like we did two days of professional team building and and team development for this organization. So we spent two days like embedded with their team. It was super fun. But we go to dinner on the first night 
and we kind of break off into our little tables and the three of us intentionally go and just kind of embed ourselves with different groups and i'm sitting at a table and we're talking about how old we are and um <laughs> if you would have caught me like a year ago as well like at my last working job i was just a dark circles under the eyes tired I, people probably thought i was like 32 or 33 and these people like it's, it's kind of a mixed bag they're kind of like it could go either way so I tell them, like, at the time I was 27, like, I'm 27. Like, oh, my goodness, it's so interesting to talk to a millennial. Yeah. And I'm like, do you have kids? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, those those are millennials. Like, you, we're not from another planet. You raised us. And so, like, it's interesting. Even even though people can be, like, they're not, they're maybe afraid of hard work. They're not afraid of work. Yeah. It's just they're maybe afraid of this idea that it has to suck. Yep. It doesn't have to suck. And that's maybe an idea that we're really good at in the Midwest, the saying that, like long suffering, right? Or the idea that if work isn't hard, it's not work. Yep. And getting around that mindset of, okay, this work is difficult. You do get your hands dirty, but it can be really, really fun. Yep. Do you, uh, do you, have you by chance listened to our, our read Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink or listened to Jocko podcast at all? I've listened to his, his content. Yep. I haven't read much okay. of his. There, there's a, there's a thing, there's a, something that's really interesting that he brings up is, if you want to, and this is just his point of view, I'm not saying this is, it'd be interesting to get your guys' take on this. If you have a team of people that aren't exactly like working well together, one of the things that he says that will bring a team together really quickly is put them through something that's really, really difficult together. Yeah. Because when they figure that out together, then they all have something that they shared that was really difficult to do. And then that just brings them close together. An example that he brings up, because of course he's a military person, yeah. is boot camp. Yeah. The guys you go through boot camp with, those are your brothers. Like, yeah. you go through war with someone, that's your brother for life. Like, you, you will never have a relationship with someone like you did with someone that you went through boot camp with or war with. Yeah. And so... As, a, as an employer, you can't do that over and over and over and over again. You can't put your people through hard test after hard test after hard test. Yeah. But it, it's something to keep in mind that if you have a group of people that are disjointed, what can you do to, to just put the pressure on a little bit to get them to, to come together? I think um, they're obviously not training to fight combatants overseas. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, maybe putting them in full tack gear and making them run a course wouldn't be the best yeah. idea. Um, and I've really toyed with this cause I like, like I, I like that. I, I like that concept and I've heard him talk about that before. And I think it's absolutely true. Um, even like, so I played sports in high school and college. Yep. Um, let me rephrase that. I played sports in high school. I was on the sports team in college. Uh, <laughs> Bench warmer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we stood. We stood on the sideline. Oh, okay. Um, but nonetheless, I went through hell weeks multiple times. And there's people that I didn't know from other parts of the country in college that were also transfers. I transferred my sophomore year and went through hell week together. And like even that like is not nearly as an extreme version of like buds or like you know PJ school. But still, but it's the same concept. It's this concept, and I think it's um, it's kind of even like when you go through something difficult with somebody, like I say, you some sort of an emergency, or like you go on a very like I did a lot of backpacking when I was younger. We did you know several longer trips, you know, upwards of five to seven days and beyond with people, and you really bond when yep. you do something difficult. So I think taking that idea, and I'm going somewhere with this, I promise. No, I think and, this is great. And framing it up to say like, how can we do that positively? Or how can we do this in a in a fun setting? So like taking people, and I know it's cheesy, but like. Putting them through some sort of a challenge, mm-hmm. you know, taking them. I've out. got, I've got the, I've got a great 
um, uh, explanation, or I've got a great um, concept for that. Yeah. Because this is something that I did. And I wasn't doing, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, oh, but like, good. again, like f- the Synergy Podcast is a detailers. I've got the perfect opportunity for you guys because I did this with my employees. Uh, I made it a point to where we would have like a Monday meeting almost every week. Every week we would get together for just like half hour, 45, and I would ask them, hey, okay, do we have problems in the shop? Do we need extra equipment? Like, what are you guys thinking that we're inefficient at? You know, and we would just discuss those things. I don't, I don't know how this actually came about. I don't remember the clear details. I could ask my guys, and I'm sure they'd tell me. But one day, uh, one of my employees said, I want to know how many cars we can detail in a day. I, I, want, I want to know what we can do. I want to know what we're made of. I said, okay, well, let's talk about it. Let's, let's, what do you guys think we should do? So what we came up with was, we wanted to see how many silver packages we could do in a single day. Now, a silver package for you guys listening and for you, Ian, is a wash clean wax on the outside and then just a basic interior, quick vacuum, quick wipe down, windows, run it out the door. So the amount that we came up with was uh, 10 in one day. That was the first one. So I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to throw a special out there that says we only have 10 slots on this specific day for $150, no matter the size of vehicle, we'll do a silver package. And they were all like pumped. They were like, okay, game on. I said, you guys better be ready because like this will sell out very quickly. Posted it and it was within six to eight hours. Boom. All 10 slots sold out. So uh, day comes and the the guys just slaughtered it. I mean, I bet, I think we were done by 2 p.m. that afternoon and then the rest of the day was just coasted and after that the team worked so much well um so much better together they were joking it was kind of a light and airy mood or whatever but then they wanted to do it again they're like okay a month later they're like we all right we really need to push it we did 14 in one day yeah again posted the same thing 150 bucks no matter size of vehicle again sold out in like six hours boom and they just they just pushed right through and we were a man down on that day. So they were like, after that, they were super pumped. Now, another thing that I did too is, and I really hate to keep bringing this back to me, but it just seemed like it really helped a lot. And it was just a, such a small thing, but I would take the guys out to lunch probably about once a week and would let them do you know, we'd go wherever, we'd sit down and eat, we'd have joking conversations or whatever. And it just seemed like, I mean, those guys would do anything for you. And so that's just an example for the people listening that if you want to put your guys through something hard, there's an idea for you. Yeah. Um, do something like that. And it'll, it tends to bring people together. Well, like it, it puts you in a position where like you, you are up against it just enough and you're having just enough fun. So we talk about this thing called flow state where like, you're challenged just enough, but you're also having just enough fun or interest in it. Because when something's really, really challenging and you don't have interest, right, or a passion for the thing, yep. it's you're going to quit because it's too hard. Yep. When something is just a lot of fun, but it's not challenging, you idle. And it's just wasting your time. You're not as productive as you could be. But hitting that, that middle ground, that state in there, by doing that, some sort of a challenge. You know, because if you do have something where like X number of jobs in a day seems like your max, do a blitz. See how fast your guys can go. See how well of a job they can do. 
through that time. And the other end, like your capacity's changed. You've understood like, hey, if we work really well together and we work quickly and have just kind of a fire underneath us to go get that done, how much better could we be day to day? And people don't always see that day to day. And so like something we do is sit down with businesses because and have them like, what's your challenge? Like, okay, I don't know how to hire people. Okay, let's get you in a room for four hours. You have to hire X amount of people by the end of the week. How do you do it? And really take all the excuses out of it. Take all the opportunities for, oh, I can't, or, oh, well, we just didn't, you know, didn't have time. Or, like, take away the other distractions and give them the opportunity to do it, which I like. Yeah. And this is also not a something for an employer. You give me your opinion on it. Just because they can do that amount of work in a day does not mean that you should also now keep and be like, oh, well, now we can do eight of those a day. Because, you know, if you run your team at 90% capacity, like all the time, yeah. I mean, you're just going to wear wear them out. No, you don't want to redline them. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you guys shouldn't be doing 12 details a day. Yeah. But now that you know you can, mm-hmm. six feels a lot easier. Yep. And what they've done now is they're not miserable at work. Yep. It shifts their perspective. And it shifts the idea. Like you said, they're lighthearted. They're joking around. They're enjoying themselves at work. Yep. And they don't feel so drained at the end of the day when they go home. So yep. when they come back the next day, they're having they're having that good time. And even if they are having a hard day, the other guys that are around them, like, hey, man, you seem like you're having an off day. What's up? And you combine that with this simple idea. You mentioned going to lunch. I love that idea. I think if, you, if you're a small business owner, which I assume a lot of the people that are listening are, yeah. five, to, five to 25 employees, um, if you haven't gone out with... Your team is in groups, small groups, and I would emphasize one-to-one. Yes. If you don't know everybody, and granted, like let's say somebody wasn't hired yesterday, right? But if you don't know everybody on your team to some extent and know what makes them tick and know who they are outside of your shop, like you're missing out on a big opportunity because mm-hmm. those people need to be connected with. And like that's a big ticket. So like if somebody's listening, like I just don't know, like, I've got a bunch of new people, i got a bunch of young people, I don't know what to do to connect with them. Take them out. Go have a coffee. Us millennials, we go, love coffee. Go have a beer over lunch. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. I mean, who cares, mm-hmm. you know? And you can take an hour and you, know, you can say like, oh, Adam, I got, I got 30 employees. How am I supposed to find the time to do that? Over the next six months, you can find an hour to maybe every other week go out with each one of your employees. Yeah. Or, I don't know, it, 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 how about you just do it once a day for, yeah. I mean, it's going to cost you, what, 12, 15 bucks a day? Um going back to lost lost productivity. So in a shop, we usually tell shops that we want them to be at a hundred dollars per hour. So if you take the lost productivity and you, let's just say that someone's 50% less efficient. Mm -hmm. Well, (laughs) that's, that's a lot of money burnt per day. in a in a lunch, a 12 to $15 lunch once every two months for that one employee. If you have 30 employees like that, that's really not that big of a cost. Well, I like to I like to kick it to small business owners and even larger employers this way. So what would happen if in your shop, if you still owned a shop, or any of the people that you work with, or anybody listening, what would happen in your shop if somebody stole $100 in supplies or equipment from your shop? Oh. If they if they stole it? Yeah, they stole it and were caught. Granted, that's that's a that's a difficult decision at, at the best case scenario. Yeah. Worst case scenario, they're terminated. In a lot of places, they'd be terminated. Yeah. You work in some of these bigger organizations, you work at Wells Fargo, and you steal $50 worth of office supplies, you're terminated. Yeah. How much has you know Bob, who's just operating at 50%, has never worked to get better, has never tried to develop himself, is slow as heck, 
how much has he taken from your business over the last 10 years? Yeah, because of lost inefficiency. Because of lost productivity. Yeah. You could have lost half a million dollars over 10 years because of an employee that's not productive, an employee that's not engaged, a relationship that's broken, or an employee that's toxic and keeps pushing other new employees out. Oh, man. But but if somebody stole from you directly, you're out of here. Yep. And so it's just this mindset shift that people have to prioritize that because money lost and money spent, I know they're different, but over time it's still costing you. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things that I, I like to do with these podcasts, because I listen to quite a few podcasts every day, and one thing that I notice with podcasts is they don't give all like a whole lot of actionable advice. Yeah. And so I had asked you if you could come up with five actionable things that some service-based businesses could do to keep, keep culture at the forefront and to like implement it into their business. And we've already talked about a couple of them already. Yeah. Like these, these things that we've just talked about, those are some key pieces that you could do in your company to, to improve the culture almost Immediately. I mean, we're talking about, I would be willing to bet that if you implemented just those couple of fixes in a month's time, you're going to notice a huge dramatic shift in, uh, the way your employees think about work. Yep. So, but that shift will be, that'll be a lag response, which is the hard part about some of these things. So like some of those things I'll, I'll talk about here in a second, but like even building the team, it could be a month. It could be six months. I think the, one of the, one of the weaknesses that a lot of small business owners have is, focusing on the, the short term because it's it's getting the revenue out of tomorrow. It's maintaining that $100 an hour mark that we want to be at. And when we don't see it like, oh, I'm only at 75 right now, I need to do something that jumps it to 100, right? And that's easy. it's easy to book another job. Yeah. It's easy to try and push your team harder, but pushing your team to be better in the long run or, is going to sustain you. Or for you to put in the hard work to do something that you just don't even have the beginnings to fathom how to do it. Because I guarantee you there's there's some 40, 50-year-olds right now that are just thinking this is so stupid. They're 35 minutes into this and they're lost. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, I'm here to tell you, like, you can hate on it all you want, but this is a real problem that if you want your business to grow and if you want it to do something, you hate on it all you want. But it's just like trying to deny that technology can improve a business. Like you could, you can, you can be inefficient. That's fine. But the fact is that you could be more efficient and do things better and you either accept it or you don't. Yeah. And it's interesting the way, and especially a lot of you guys out there in the service, like services, you rely on tech so much to be honest with you. Like the most inefficient thing about a lot of people's businesses are the people. Yes. Agreed. What? Like, Systems are cool. You can implement some things. I was in several organizations, and whether we're integrating a new POS or a new inventory management or a new ERP or a new CRM, whatever, all the three-letter acronym systems that are out there, I've, I've touched a lot of them and been involved in the integration of a lot of them. If the people aren't on board with it... If they don't even understand the why behind it... It won't work. Yeah. So why, why are we doing this? 100%. Uh, can I... I'm really sorry to do this, but can I interject another personal Absolutely. story? Uh with our company, we just started using a CRM for the sales team. And the, on, and the only reason why they hadn't used it before was because they didn't understand why you would do that. And when I explained to them, well, if we get 100 contacts in, can you tell me that you can effectively and efficiently follow up with all 100 contacts over a month? No. The answer is a resounding no, because you have so much other stuff going on throughout the day. 
now you just have something that just tells you, hey, you remember Bobby Joe that you talked to three days ago? Why don't you give Bobby Joe a call? Because this is what you guys talked about last time. And when you explain that why, it's like a light bulb just goes off in their head and they're like, oh, this makes my life easier. Yeah, that's, we're not, we're not implementing a system to make your life more difficult. It's, we're doing this to try and make it more. But it needs to be communicated. Like, this is why it's important and shows, show people the end result and like the vision of what you're trying to get there. And that kind of ties into one of the things that I wanted to talk about for service-based businesses. And I meant like, when we think about culture from a service-based business perspective or any, any sort of like environment where people are coming into your business, your storefront, or your employees are going out and they're interacting with them, you have two cultures to manage. You have an internal culture that you have to manage as far as what's going on internally within your employees and your teams. And you have an external culture to manage which is how do your customers relate to you? How do you relate to them? What's their experience like? And correct me if I'm wrong, but as a service-based businesses, do you see that they way over index on the customer experience end of it and not the internal? Yes. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Because it's, that's, that's what you think matters. Yep. Like if, if I can have a good customer experience, but I'm not investing in my people to deliver that, as a business leader, and this is something that we'll tie into. So like one thing, so let's maybe start like throwing some of these out there. I think there's real power in value and belief. Your team needs to be bought into common values, common belief as from an internal perspective, not just we detail cars well, not just we work on cars well, but this is what we believe in. We believe in being honest. We believe in being dependable. We believe on being there for our customers. The customer is not always right, but we are here to make it right for them. Whatever those things are, people need to sit down and be really intentional. What do I believe as a business owner? What do I believe this business is here for? And it's not a why. It's bigger than that. But then get everyone on the team. That's an expectation. If you're a new employee coming into my my business, this is where our expectations are at. This is where my values are at. These need to be your values. And hire, hire based on that, which is going to put you in a better spot as is. Right? Or get your team together currently who you've been with for 20 plus years. Sit down and figure out what do you guys really value? What do you want to be about? What do you want your business to be about in 20 years? Everyone needs to be rowing in the same boat. I don't care if you have a super skilled tech, your best tech, or your front desk person. Maybe a high schooler working for you for the summer. Everyone has to be bought into that common vision, common values, common beliefs. Why is that? Because when everyone's, when everyone's rowing in the same direction, you get where you're going better. You get where you're going faster. You can't have rub in something like this. Like you have somebody who's got a really crappy attitude at the front desk. It doesn't matter how good your techs are. You have somebody who's so brilliant at the front desk, energetic, passionate, and happy, but your techs are having a bad day and they're pissed off and they're working slow and they're throwing stuff and cussing and you can hear that in the back. Mm. That's why it's important. It's a disjointed experience. Uh, We were talking about... um, Jocko, Navy SEALs, yeah. training. Every single person on this planet has seen the Bud's Week thing where they all pick up the log yeah. on their shoulders and you have like 12 dudes that are carrying a log. Well, if you got two dudes that are literally going the opposite direction with that log, like that's that's a that's a problem. Yeah, 100%. That's the way that these guys need to visualize why the secretary all the way to the janitor in the shop all has to have that same vision because when they interact with customers, they all need to have that same yeah. mindset. I would so I'll ask you because we ask this. You probably know the answer to this because you might have heard this talk about this before. Um, but for you, all of you people listening too, what's the what's the least important position in a restaurant? Least important? Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna say dishwasher is probably what most people would say. Most people jump to dishwasher. Yep. 
Um, but then I ask them this. What, what happens if you get dirty dishes? What restaurant would you eat at with dirty dishes? It doesn't matter how good the food is. It doesn't matter how amazing the experience is. It doesn't matter how great the marketing or the branding is. It doesn't matter how great the leadership is. If your restaurant has dirty dishes, people won't eat there. Mm-hmm. If your shop has even the smallest bit where there's some sort of real problem, it doesn't matter. Everyone has to be as important. That doesn't mean everyone gets compensated the same. That doesn't mean everyone has the same skills and techniques and right. Like, but everyone has to be that that valued. One one thing that I really drove home with my guys. And I really hate to keep bringing it back to like personal experiences, but again, I just want to, I think that a lot of people that are listening to this will relate to it is I drilled home into them. I said, we are a detail shop. If our shop does not look like it's been detailed, do you think the $250,000 car is going to come here and say, oh, these guys probably know what they're doing because the floors haven't been swept in four weeks. So on Friday, um, the last hour to two hours a day on Friday, which we all know employees, people want to get to the weekend. I don't yeah. care what your culture is like and everything like that. People can be super psyched to go to work and everything, but Friday is Friday. Yeah. I said, Hey, let's just be real. You guys want to get, get the weekend going and everything. But on Friday, the last hour to two hours a day, I will pay you to sweep and scrub the entire 3000 square foot shop floor and mop it and organize it, everything. But it needs to be freaking clean. And did the people who first came on understand it? No, they didn't. But when the guy with the $200,000 car would roll in, which I made sure to always hire people who at least had a passion for cars, uh, they understood, you know, when a nice car rolled in, like the importance of it. And when that guy would get out of the car and say, wow, this is a really nice shop. Boom. Point of... uh, it's a point of being proud of yeah. what you, of what you're working in. Yeah. Like yeah. that guy's not going to roll into the shady shop in an alleyway. Yeah. He's just not going Especially to. given the nature of your work. Yeah. Like that's a really important thing. And I think that's a very tangible way that you've taken beliefs and values and tied that directly into a culture. We're a detail shop. We're detail oriented and we're clean. Our shop needs to be detail-oriented and clean. And that's an expectation of being here. The other thing you mentioned, I think is really important for a lot of you guys. If you're, if you're doing detailing, right, or you're working with cars and you were working with hiring cars, hire people that care about cars. Mm-hmm. They'll do a better job. They'll treat something better if they have that kind of, they share that common belief or that common value, which is really important. One of the other things I think, and we talked a little bit about this earlier, we touched on it, but it's training. Like training has to be an ongoing continuous process. And I'm gonna break this down to two things. It's skills and then qualities. Your people need to be able to train on sustainable skills. So for people that own their own business or what they do isn't something that somebody has to go to a certification or a tech school outside of. If you do something that's a little bit unique, if you detail, if you landscape in a certain way, right? If you, whatever it is, if you have a custom custom auto body shop or a custom paint shop, you need to get your training and techniques onto a platform where you can get somebody in-house and they can train, they can get up to speed, and it's sustainable. Like training is not something you just do once training, something that needs to be ongoing and ongoing and ongoing. So, you know, getting your best people to make sure they're training in kind of this like dojo style, right? Where like, oh my God. You're bringing I'm so glad that you said people that. Up. But like, it needs to be consistent. Yeah. Like the onboarding process isn't enough, especially for techniques and skills. 
Like even if somebody's been there for six years and there's a guy for 20, hey, let's go work on this thing together so I can just share this project with you. Yeah. But implementing that specifically. Yeah. The other thing would be qualities. This is something that I think is big for a lot of the service-based businesses. Qualities are not just skills. I don't care how quickly you can dismantle a transmission or flush it. If you can't talk to people, if you can't smile, you don't have to be happy, but be pleasant. Learn how to communicate well. Or if you've got a foreman or if you have a, sh a shop supervisor, if that individual can't lead effectively, and like leading is a lot more about qualities with the development of skills, but if you can't communicate effectively, if you can't coach, if you can't hold people accountable and express yourself in conversations without throwing tools or cussing, like that's an expert that needs to be an expectation in your shop. If that's your culture, fine. Like if that's how you are and you're very like East coast and like, that's what it is. Cool. Like that's fine, but you have to have the other qualities there. So I would break it down to, into training is something that will help keep people longer. If you take somebody that has never been intentionally trained on how to be a better communicator or on how to effectively greet a customer, and you give them those skills, you give them those opportunities, and they feel like they've learned something on top of developing their technical skills, you've invested into them, they're going to stay with you longer because now you've taught them how to do things, plus they're contributing to a culture that goes into your customer service experience. I, can I, man. <laughs> You're gonna nerd out for a second. <laughs> Dude, this is crazy. Like we, I mean, you and I, we've talked a couple of times, but it's not like you knew my business very well. Like I bet we probably never even really talked about my detail shop. No, I remember cause I, I was a hang around at the bakery. Yep. So like, I remember when it was the thing, but I, 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 other than that. So one thing that I did was, uh, unintentionally, like th there was no real reason behind it, but something I realized was when I was a solo person, I would hold car care clinics. And I realized that when I would train people, I would actually learn more about my craft because now I have to actually explain it to someone. So in my shop, something I would do is I would take my lead guy and I'd say, you have to train this person. Yeah. And I would still check in with them, like, you know, uh, check in with that new hire or whatever, uh, a week later or whatever, check his skills, check his knowledge and everything like that. But what ended up happening was it only took about two weeks for me to train someone on the exterior of a car to get them to learn pretty much every process. Now, were they amazingly efficient at it and all these other things? No, but like in two weeks time, they, they were trained on the exterior, but then they had to go and learn the interior, which is a whole different deal. Um, but what I found, ended up figuring out was that my guys took a lot of pride in training other people. And when someone ended up getting more efficient really quickly, like that was a point of pride. Like, I did that for that person. I took this person from no knowledge to being just as good as one of us. But there was something that I noticed in my shop, which was that there, one of the things that I hated working for other people was I did not have that final piece of closure on a job mm -hmm. because I was never interacting with the customer ever. It was always the shop foreman or whatever. Yeah. And when I was thinking about that, I was like, well, how do I fix that in a detail shop where these guys, part of, part of doing a detail is like seeing the customer glow about how clean their car is and how amazing it is. And one of the things I did in my shop was I would also pay the guys 75% of the gross tips that would come into the shop at yeah. the end of the week, right? Well, how do I get them to where they care so much about a job to go really um, far and beyond mm -hmm. to get more tips. Yeah. 
So what I started doing was I would grab one of those guys and then I would bring them with me when I would show the card to the customer. And then the customer's like glowing and saying, oh my gosh, I can't believe. And then all of a sudden it just, there's a light bulb that goes off in their head and they're like, oh, this is what I'm doing this for. Yeah. I get it. Like, okay, this is cool. And then it would, and then it would work up to now they're the only ones going out there and showing the customer what to do. Yeah. Now, are you going to catch an L every once in a while where the customer starts picking out stuff and saying, oh, this wasn't done right or whatever? Absolutely. And I would tell them, come grab me when that happens. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to take full responsibility for it, yep. you know, whatever. But more often than not, they're the ones that are getting the W. Yep. And then when the customer comes in and says, oh, my God, you did such an amazing job. No, no, no. That was that was so and so that they did that. I was just in here browsing Facebook and they get to see why like it, it takes them from like, oh, I love detailing cars. But like why, why? Like, why do you love detailing cars? Why this specific thing? Because you ask people like, why do you work? Pretty shallow answer. Like I have a lifestyle I have to maintain. I want to I hear I want to help people a lot, which is valid. Like, but we all like essentially want to help people. But like being able to get your guys out there and see that because then it's real. It's like this is why. Yep. Like I just leave the clean car like cool that does nothing for me. Yep. There's no tie into like somebody's somebody's true satisfaction or somebody who has an experience, especially people who care about cars. Yep. Especially people who care about cars. That's that's big. Um and I think the idea of like learning to teach. So if you guys do a lot of training, so like you've done a lot of training in your businesses, when you learn something with the intention of teaching it, your retention, your absorption and your understanding of that go through the roof. Oh, yeah. So when we're training new people, like, hey, get them in the mindset. You're not just learning this. You're learning this so you can teach this to the next guy that comes in and, like, tr make the training that intentional, that hands-on. I knew quite a bit about sales and business development. It wasn't until I had to build a sales training program from the ground up and train about 400 salespeople in the course of 12 months that I really got good That's a ride. at understanding. Yeah. It was, a, it was a total ride. Like there wasn't a thing and I had to build a system and a curriculum and a platform and all base it on techniques, practices, and, and tactics that worked or didn't work. Like I got really good really fast at learning like, well, that sucked. Okay, let's try something else. But I learned, I learned it so I could teach it. And I would tell people, if you ever want to get really, really good at something, learn it with the intention of teaching it. Something else internal. Yeah, and I'm really sorry that like we keep going off on these things, but again, like we can recap them at the end. Yeah, we'll, we're good. going to. This is good. Um, something else. We've talked about values and belief. We've talked about the importance of training and what that entails, skills and qualities. Something else. Create a pathway for success, and that sounds really vague, but basically what that means is give people a ladder, especially younger people. Younger people need to see a vision. They need to see a next step. They need to see the end result of what they're working towards. Now you know, building an online store, like opening your own company, like coding so you can build the dot com, which isn't really something we do anymore. But all those things had like, oh yeah, I can see where I'm going and see where I'm going to be successful. When you're hiring people that are younger, or you want to build that next generation of people to come into your shop and sustain it, you need to give them a pathway for success. People are never going to work as hard as you want them to work for just just the money, just the paycheck. So is it a pathway to success where like your shop is known for being able to train technicians above and beyond what they come in with, right? Maybe you get to learn extra additional skills and that's a drawing point where people can say, you know, I want to go work there because I know I'm going to get extra training. 
or is it the fact that like you work you work towards a certain point and then at some point you become a partial owner or you become a sweat equity partner right like build in to these things and it doesn't have to be like ownership or financial it can be leadership if you have a shop and you're looking to expand if you have a detailing shop and you'd like to go remote and you'd like to have six to seven teams now across the city that are going remote and detailing at certain locations get somebody in there and be like do you want to lead people do you not want to be scrubbing the cars forever here's a pathway so i think that's important for understanding what young people want the millennials again what they want um so like to all the people out there that are struggling with hiring younger people they need to see the purpose and the vision of it tie them into what what they do especially and that comes from like a brand standpoint like that comes from your story your stores your shop story telling that to say like this is why i do what i do this is why i'm passionate about it this is what i believe in that will get people younger people a little bit more activated instead of just being like well you're gonna get your hands dirty all day long they'll get their hands dirty all day long if they're motivated properly if they're passionate about something if they see the end-to-end vision not just oh you change this fluid you change this tire um there's a lot of different jobs you can do in a company and i don't know if we're not i don't know if we're supposed to name names but uh, valvoline comes to mind where there's four or five people working on the car at the same time and i've been in those because i'm a business owner and i don't have time to work on my own car <laughs> but i've been in those many times and i've been in a really good experience all these guys were having a good time all these guys were working together all these guys really truly cared that my car left there in the best shape i've also been in there where they weren't talking they weren't getting along they were cussing each other they weren't having a good time the person ringing me up was just not not with it and that truly changed the fact that i'm like well i'm not going to go back to that one again and the the difference was and i kind of went and asked like why do you like why do you guys do this and the, the result was like well it doesn't matter what i'm doing it was we're all working to get this car out together and so it comes back to that values and belief but that's really kind of the missing ingredient a lot of times is reaching out and being like hey this is what we believe in this is what we're going to train you to do and then this is how you can climb a ladder give them a vision for success and then they'll move towards it i think those are three things to make it internal so transitioning to external this one's really important because i don't know if a lot of people have done this build a very tangible might not be the right word but people need to build a very detailed customer service vision what are three to four pillars i like threes or think 3d so i like three (laughs) right obviously but like what is your what are your expectations and your visions for the customer experience and not just from like a greet every customer, but like really what do you truly want customers to feel when they interact with your employees and when they come into your shop? You know, some places that might be something that feels a little bit more safe. Like does your, do you want your shop to be very like open for customers? There's can be intimidating when we're talking about service, especially around automobiles. Do you want your shop to be the place that like, hey, if you don't know crap about cars, you come here and we take care of you and we got you. Or do you want your shop to be the place where you can get in and you can get out quick? And we, we realize that time is important to you, right? Do you want your shop to be the friendly place? It doesn't have to be all of these things all the time, but get detailed about it, right? So, and what do you do when somebody comes in the door? There's the last organization I was at, we built a customer service experience that had three, we had three pillars or three deltas, as we call them over there, that were everything we did when a customer came in the door revolved around these three steps. What does it look like when somebody comes in? How do you ask them the right questions how do you provide the service how do you follow up like build that customer service experience vision that's really specific and just make that your standard and then that incorporates back into your training from the top down but when people come into that 
shop when people come into your service or just interact with you, there's consistency there. Okay. And they're building that. The other thing would be set a clear set clear expectations for how your team handles customers, which probably circles back to training, but that has to be something from an external standpoint you handle as a business owner. If somebody's got a bad review from one of your guys or a bad review from a tech or a bad review, you've got somebody up at the front desk if you have one that's not handling it's not handling customers the way they should be, you have to be willing to hire and fire. And like that's unnegotiable. Non-negotiable, non-negotiable. Unnegotiable is not a word. But the fact is like even if somebody's been with you for a long time, if they're really toxic to customers, if they're just mean to customers, or there's a reputation, well, that guy's just a jerk. It's time to have a tough conversation about what's going to happen long term. Yeah. So that's another thing. Another thing external is focused on your value to the customer, not their value to you. At least I think like just being in that mindset, what value do we provide to the customer, especially in service-based businesses? Because you are having a hard time find employees you are having a hard time keeping employees but the industries and the technology is always changing like what happens when a market shifts and all of a sudden your particular service is obsolete if people don't value you and your service instead of you worrying about consistently their value to to you you won't last it doesn't matter if you're ltv for customers you've calculated it out and you're really worried about maintaining that certain number that doesn't matter if you're not valuable to them. You do need to be thinking about your metrics, right? And and all all of the the sales and actual numbers of your business, but when you're building out this vision, when you're thinking about how we handle people, what's our value to them? And be intentional about it. Is it a handwritten note that you leave in your somebody's car after you detail it? You know, is it a thing, "Hey, we really appreciate you. Here's a cup of coffee on us next time." Is it these little things where you focus on what value are we providing? Do we remember people by name? Do we remember that they prefer their seat in this position? Do we take I don't know, inventory uh, of all these things. An example that I've used with uh, quite a few different detailers is that um, as you're going through this whole explanation, something that uh, keeps popping up in my mind that I would do, I would try to do for customers is I would try to make it as frictionless as possible. Yep. The whole experience is frictionless as possible. And that was a really interesting trip to go through when I used to be mobile. So I used to go to people's houses and do their car there. It's pretty much as frictionless as you can get. Yep. Now, when I went to a shop, all of a sudden that friction level goes way, way up. They've got to drop the car off, find a ride to get back to work and then come back. And then you have to line up. Well, if they want to show up to the shop at 6am, well, I'm not there. You know, how are they going to drop the keys? There's this whole experience that there's a whole bunch of steps there that can be just friction, 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 friction. Yep. And so I started taking one by one and started lessening those friction points, which I always just called a customer experience. Yeah. But customer experience can mean a couple of different things, just like you said. It could be that you're the quickest in and out place. It could yeah. be, for me, it was I wanted to create the least friction as possible. Yeah. I wanted to make, so one of my goals was I only wanted to be booked out two weeks in advance, and that was it. If that meant that I had to hire on more people or get my team more efficient, that's a friction point. Yeah. If someone has to wait a month to get their car cleaned, that's a friction point. It's yeah. a bad customer experience. They won't. Well, actually, they will. I, I used to be so? booked out months in advance, which really? in our industry, it's really crazy. Like people, when you get into like car people, like people who have a car, are like I'm about this car. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's it's actually it's really funny because it's actually a bragging point upon around some detailers. They're like, yeah. I'm I'm two months booked out, bro. It's like, that's great. That's awesome. <laughs> Is that a good <laughs> how much thing? money you're losing? <laughs> yeah. Is that, yeah. Cool. Um. So, that was my that was one thing. Second thing was. I knew that 
I was going to have expensive cars in my shop. Now, there's lots of detailers out there that have way more expensive cars than me. Whatever. For Sioux Falls, South Dakota, I had expensive cars in my shop, and I wanted people to feel like they could keep their cars there, and it was safe. So whenever I would have someone bring in an expensive car, they're going to be leaving it there for a couple of days or even a week, whatever, I had a security camera right outside the garage door that was a live feed right to my phone and would send me notifications when someone showed up. Yeah. I had an electronic keypad that if someone was entering in a code, I got a notification immediately saying someone's trying to get into the shop. Yeah. I had another security camera facing that door in that window yeah. that would let me know if someone's breaking in. Yeah. So there's that safety part. Number three, and something that is really interesting with a lot of service-based businesses or just detailers in general is they're always afraid to raise their prices. So I said, how can you get an experience up to a point where people don't care what the price is anymore because the experience is there? So the third thing that, um, third and fourth thing that was a possible friction point for people was when they dropped off their car, they had to find a ride back to their, their house, their work, whatever. So something I did was I raised up my prices by $25 or $50 across the board. But when they would drop off their car, I would pay for their lift ride to and from the shop. Mm -hmm. So when I'm messaging them or or talking to them on the phone, I'd say, by the way, don't worry about bothering someone else to get a ride. I'll pay for your lift ride to and from the shop. And people were just would go bonkers over that. They'd be like, are you serious? That is so cool. And it's baked into your price. And it's baked into my price. Do you know how much it cost me on average to do a lift ride? It was like 20 bucks. Yeah, I was going to say it's like 11 bucks both ways. Yeah. Was it was it a little bit tougher for me to pull something like that off? Because, you know, I've got to have, I've got to be able to schedule it just right and everything like that. Yeah, but whatever. Like, yeah, again, what was important to me as a, as a customer experience was as frictionless as possible. 100%. There's a key drop outside the door. If you wanted to show up at 6 a.m., cool. Just drop your key right in that box. Yeah. And don't worry about your car. There's a security camera outside. I got you, right? So if you're a service-based business, if you're a detailer, and you need to raise your prices, think about how you can raise that customer experience level to where it doesn't matter what you charge, that people are going to pay for it if the experience is there. Yeah, and especially if you're getting booked and booked and booked and booked out, like, there's really two things you have. Like if you provide a service or a training, like we we are a service-based business because we come in and when we're not doing like the consulting and sitting down with like a team to build out some more of the technical sides of their HR thing, we're just doing trainings and that's a service. And, you know, when you're not booked, you got to either think about what's the, what's the experience that people are having or how can we just give away our time? Because time is your currency. So if you are booked out, you have to start thinking about, okay, I'm really booked. And I need, I've got some issues with customer experience. It might be time to raise the price and incorporate something like an incorporated ride service, you know, like a free whatever with every time somebody comes in. But it takes looking at that process end to end. And so that's another thing that I would probably throw in. And this is a little bit impromptu, but like documentation. Small business owners, <laughs> listen to me right now. If your business is not documented and your processes are not documented, you have a problem. Wait. Small businesses should have standard operating procedures for things? Everyone should have SOPs for everything. I don't care if it's how you answer the phone. I don't care if it's how you open up the cash register. Like, 
people people that are listening to us right now are thinking that I would uh, that I laid up this entire conversation because I can't tell you how many times I've talked about this no. or had people come on and said this. But I swear to God, me and Ian have not talked. I basically our only conversation was, do I need to bring <laughs> over another microphone? Okay, That's true. <laughs> and if you could see me now and how my body is physiologically changed with this frustration, document your stuff. If you want to have a business and a culture and you say, like, this is my experience for the customer, this is what the process is end to end, document it. So this is what my customer acquisition looks like. How are you getting customers? This is what it looks like when they come in. This is how we perform the service. This is how we document the service. This is how we bill for it. This is how they leave the door. If you can't, like, articulate that or have that documented, you will not be able to fine tune it. Mm-hmm. And, and, like, you, you cannot train people efficiently. And small business owners are spending a lot of money. Not only are you losing money on culture, you're losing money on efficiency without having proper documentation. And it's nuts. So to recap, let me pull back out this note here. Belief and values. Get everybody rowing the boat in the same direction. Get everybody bought in. From the dishwasher to the CEO, right? Everyone has to be bought in. Training. Train them on skills, making sure they're... That's like one of the things that will make or break a service. Are you better than the competition or do you provide it in a more expert way or do you provide it faster? Like it's really a game of who can do what better. Skills and qualities. If you can't communicate with customers and you can't play nice with the other coworkers and you can't effectively communicate with the team, that has to be an expectation. That has to be an expectation. That will be the difference maker from a, a, somebody going to a mechanic shop or a detailer where the techs and the, and the guys, I don't want to interact with those people. Or going somewhere where they're really genuinely able to communicate with you well. Externally, creating that leadership pathway, getting your customer experience really nailed down, focus on what your value is to them, and document. I would even replace the last one with document. Document your business. So like for you, Adam, it was like it was friction. You want a smooth customer experience. If somebody wants to be premium and they want to build in like this is not just a detailing service, this is the premium detailing service. You know, you come in and we've got the sparkling water, you come in and we've got the mints, whatever that is then that needs to be built into your customer experience. How are you actually making that happen? If you want to be the friendly hometown shop, be the friendly hometown shop. Really think about how people interact with you and your team. Document the process and train your people. Awesome. That's what I got. (laughs) Uh, You got anything, uh, last bits that you want to say? Anything like that? You wanted to give a shout out to CultureCon, your guys' Think 3D book? Yeah, man, this has been, well, this has just been a really good conversation, by the way. I've really enjoyed this. Um, but yes, if you are interested um, in learning about CultureCon, uh, we'll, it's on our, on our website, letsthink3d.com. It's on our Facebook page, at Think3D Solutions. Um, we do have a book. If you're in Sioux Falls and you want a book, just come up to the office and see us. We're at 8th and Railroad. You can come up to Suite 207. We'll be here most of the, day, most of the time during the day. Um, and we just like talking with people. So we just love it when people pop into the office and do stuff like this. Or just You won't end up on a podcast without us asking you, so you're not just going to walk into a <laughs> podcast. Uh, but um, you can just pop up and get a book. We also have an ebook that's available. So if somebody wants an ebook, you can email me, dan, at letsthink3d.com. Uh, and that's it, man. CultureCon's coming October 29th. We're excited about it. Awesome. If you guys are in a service-based business and if you have no idea what to do about culture, just give me a call. <laughs> we'll absolutely. Talk. Yeah. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. This has been fun. We'll catch you uh we'll catch you again soon. All right.